So welcome back to the Diaries of the Wild Ones. I want to give a really big thank you to Wild Earth Australia because I'm just so stoked to be a part of their team. Through them, I get to meet the most amazing adventurers because as a company, they are really supporting people that are just getting out there and giving life a really good crack. They're just such a good company that truly believes in the adventurous lifestyle. So a big thank you to them. Now, if you need any gear for your next adventure, running, hiking, camping, climbing, survival, you name it, there you have it. So go to the website, wildearth.com.au and put in the 10% discount code, Diaries of the Wild Ones, all one word, capital letters. Free shipping Australia-wide, they even ship internationally. So welcome back to the Diaries of the Wild Ones. Now this episode is extremely interesting as you're about to meet one of my neighbours, Mark, a guy that I really look up to. He was kind enough to share his story of self-discovery by having the courage to try something different. Mark, like many others in the 70s and 80s, was looking for a greater meaning in life and was not willing to accept the mundane, which led him to joining the movement, the Rajneeshis, which was a very controversial cult or group under the famous guru Osho. We all look back on the 60s and 70s hippie movement and think what a wonderful time of freedom for people. The anti-establishment movement in the West to search for a greater meaning in life. Cult or no cult, these guys had a lot of fun. And I've met many ex-followers of Osho, especially around Byron Bay, and I've always found one thing in common. They're just normal people. But they're just normal people that seem to be happy and more content with life. It's like they've found the key to happiness. Now, for me, in my own life, all I want to do is have a good time, to be happy, and I just love hearing the stories of where people break away from the mainstream in search of that. Now, if you have never heard of Osho, or the Rajneeshis, or the Orange People, it was basically a worldwide movement that started in Pune, India, and they ended up building their own city in Oregon in the United States. The movement fell apart with a massive load of controversy. And there is an extremely interesting documentary on Netflix called Wild Wild Country, which is all about the rise and fall of this movement. And I highly recommend watching it. But I just love the courage that Mark and the rest of the Orange people had to try something different and go have a lot of fun, which most ex-followers say that's all it was when they look back on it, just the funnest times of their lives, just one big party. But either way, If you're searching for a greater meaning in life and that gets you to climb a mountain or join a movement or just whatever, wherever that takes you in life, I just find it so interesting and inspiring. And a big thank you to Mark for sharing his experience with me. Hearing your voice inside your head. Yeah, so just find where you're comfortable, Uncle Mark. Let's get this tight. I love calling you Uncle Mark. Hey, what is that? Hey, I, I called you Unky this afternoon. No, it's just like my way of respecting you. Oh, well, thank you. Well, it is. It's like the elder and like you're the elder around here. Well, hmm. a elder, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's like I can learn so much from you. Oh. So it's like it's like a great way just to, um, I don't know, for me, you know what it was? And I think I've told you this. It was when I lived in Indonesia. When I lived in Indonesia, everyone is your uncle. Like oh, in the yes. village, you say puck to everyone. And it's just like a sign of respect oh. kind of thing. And it's just like it's such a tribalism of community. And, like, hmm. and so I kind of find that like the relationships that I have with people that are like my elders, it's like, yeah, I don't know. I just like doing it. Wonderful. That's nice. Mark, welcome to Diaries of the Wild Ones. Oh, we're actually on air, are we? And we can be on air. We can, thing, yeah. The thing about this is you can just cut and change whenever. 
Oh, but still. So I just press record and just kind of let it flow because I just... I used to find that if I started off by like interviewing someone, it kind of puts this pretense of like... It kind of makes the other person a little bit nervous. It puts them on the spot when you're like, hey, yeah. what's your name? Who are you? Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And all it is is literally just a conversation. So I just press record at the start and we just talk. And then okay. wherever I feel like kind of cutting it, you know, just cut it in. Mm. Well, thanks for saying what you did about Uncle Mark because I do... When you first brought that up and mentioned it and called me that, I went, oh, that sounds like a, a term of endearment. Hmm. Yeah. Quite nice. It would be something that I'd like to see society have more of, just like respect for their elders. Or just like, it's not even that. It's not even just the respect. It's, it's understanding that those people in the community just have more It's not even more Just have like the knowledge. that They've had that trial and error. They're there to be able to teach us. We can learn from them if we want. You know what I mean? And it's just like, it is that respect, I suppose. But it's like, yeah, it's, I think it's a sense of community. It's just hmm. so nice to be able to like acknowledge that. And that's what, exactly what we are. You're my neighbor. We live in a community. We do. We do. Okay, so the reason why I've asked you here, Mark, is because you have such an interesting background. But it's not just the fact of your background. I've met so many people with, with a similar background to yours. And... They're people that I look up to now as being the happiest, most freest kind of people I know. Now, get, you can you can mark me wrong if, you know, this is... Because this is my perception of you, but it's just like a lot of people that I've met, and there's quite a few around here that have come from this 70s and 80s movement, and then now are living like such happy, free life. So it's like they're just awakened, or there's another... They're on like a different frequency. I don't know what the word is for it, but it's just like when I look at these people, I'm like, oh, yeah, like what's their insight and how did they get to be and like it and it all comes down to this thing that i have no i have no way of even grasping what it was even like and so that was the rush niche movement that you guys were part of at one stage in your life and i just it's just so hard to understand we watched that wild wild country documentary that's on netflix Mm. which really exposes the rush niche the osho the the orange people movement and it's so such an insight and i was so intrigued by that it was like wow what what a world or what a different way to live and then talking to you guys and my neighbors and these people around me which i like because that netflix series so if you haven't seen it go onto netflix and watch wild wild country because it's absolutely insane but it's like shows the pros and cons or it shows in a negative way and it shows in a positive way this kind of cult this movement that happened in the 70s and 80s and so you can kind of take what you want from that. Some people take negative things. Some people take positive things. But it's just like the people that I know now that have come from that movement are like extremely happy. They're people that I look up to. Hmm. Hmm. So it's like this is where I want this insight. It's like, and one thing I don't even understand is how did you even get to that? Because, Mark, you, you, were, you were born in Australia. Yeah, I'm from Brisbane. So you're from Brisbane. You grew up in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. So would you mind touching on your story? Okay. Thank you. Well, thank you for inviting me, Aaron. Um, in a nutshell, though, because you started out asking me how did I come to be at this age and seem quite happy and contented with my life. And it's just really, if you look at the beginning of life, everybody grows up in this Western world, society, the cards are dealt to you. We all run down a similar formula, formula of, of living, which is in this world, it's economics, it's money, it's financing. And so we're educated to grow up as children to then be once educated to go out into the world, join the workforce, earn money and maybe buy a house, get into real estate, get married, have house, mortgage, children. Isn't that the normal standard? Yeah. 
But what happened in a lot in the 60s and 70s especially when I was growing up was this movement which was really indicative when you looked at um, the culture in America where they were the, the Stone 60s, LSD and all yeah. of that. People were just not accepting of the status quo, the way things were moving. Oh, what do you mean? I'm just going to grow up, follow my parents, get educated, get a wife, buy a house, a mortgage, a noose around my neck for the next 30 years. That seemed to be a time frame where you went, well, is there anything else? And then the radar went out to look for something else to do. Is there something else to in to life than just doing what my parents have done and i suppose that movement to inspire people to say like hey you can go try different things it's okay to mm. in that movement people seem to just be breaking off and trying like you know experimenting exactly it's such an experimental movement that's right i remember just, well it was, it was alcohol when i was young there was a fair bit of that trying that when i was only 15 and 16 and because it was a readily available but then pot came on the scene you know i smoked a fair bit of pot when i was a teenager bit of hash and mushrooms of course so playing with all of those so it was sort of breaking up the the psyche yeah this is the way it has to be and there was a questioning there was like as i said well what's going on there must be more to this is that all i'm going to do is copy my parents and live that life so you're in pretty much you're just in search of a deeper meaning yeah so it's and pilgrimage. so all those people that i met um when i got involved with rajanish which was a so spiritual guru well, okay, so I'm a restless teenager. Um, I leave school, I get out of that, and I'm looking for work. And looking for, I remember leaving school and going, okay, thank God that's over. That was, a, that, was, that was so arduous and difficult. Now I'm supposed to get a job. Well, do I really care? Not really. So what's important to me? Well, I want to know what the meaning of life is. So I'm going to look for happy people that seem happy in this world, and I'm going to approach them and say, well, just like you're doing for me. What, what is it about you? How come you seem happy in this world? And I did that when I first left school. I approached many people and couples and I said, okay, you seem to be pretty happy with life. What's your secret? What are you doing? What's making your life a bit more enjoyable than others? And I, did, I wasn't getting any answers, I must admit. It was very difficult to find anybody that could give me a straight answer. Anyway, so consequently... I ended up making some money, took that money, went overseas and did one of those very typical 70s, 80s thing. I just travelled around the world a bit. Like backpacking? Yeah. Yeah, I backpacked, went to Greece, went to Egypt. Then I went back up into Europe and I spent six months in Europe. And like a lot of us, got a job in Holland in a jam factory and sat down there for another six months and made some money. And then over to England and, you know, England was fun, lots of drugs and... Tattoos, no, not tattoos, <laughs> earrings. That's right. It was, it was getting ears pierced was the thing the to do thing there. there. Yeah, but anyway, like a lot of people, I found myself going, well, okay, I'm traveled a fair bit. This is fun, but now what? Like what and now? What now? So at that time, there was this thing called the Magic Bus that used to do that used to leave England and go through Turkey, um, Pakistan into India, and drop you off in um, Delhi or Bombay. Um, I tried to get on the bus, but I missed it. That's right. I was in Turkey, and I got too, too, too stoned to catch the bus, and I missed that, so I ended up getting a private bus. But I went overland to India and um, went up to Kashmir and Srinagar and just, just dabbled around. And So you're still just on your travelling vibe? Like you haven't yeah, thank heard you. of anything? Yeah, no, not yet. You're I'm still waiting for something to come, come along, but nothing's answering my call, so I'm just travelling like people of my age would do. Sort of seeking but not knowing what I'm seeking. Yeah. Very odd. I did see some, I, I did touch on, what's the best way to phrase it? I could see that there were gurus around the place. There was um, 
men with turbans and loincloths and um, there was obviously some sort of spiritual thing happening in that country but I kind of couldn't I wasn't drawn to anything at the time yeah I was aware that Rajanish was there somewhere because I kept seeing a lot of orange people especially in Bom- Bombay and, and would you when you saw the orange people did you know what it was no were, and they, were they westerners yes a lot of them so yeah, you'd absolutely. see white people dressed in orange and just mm. wonder what's going on there exactly exactly oh that would be so confusing that was yes yes so but yet they seemed happy and they were doing that in my state of mind at that time there i could see them but i wasn't sure what they were about and i didn't really pay any heed and yeah, i hadn't I, called you yet yeah you exactly know I mean? it, it resonated yet thank you bingo I, yeah. I i was aware of them i could see them but they there was no hook there yet and i was yeah. just like oh, okay they're just another bunch of weird people in robes and, and the westerns now joining the eastern people Anyway, I found myself up in um, Kathmandu and I did some hiking and I really enjoyed myself. And I remember I'm 21 and I, I had my 21st birthday and I remember going to a temple and I'm sitting there and I'm just going, oh, for fuck's sake, what's the purpose of this? And all I could do was drink beer and eat chocolate cake because that's what that place was famous for. <laughs> really? Yeah, because Indian food, very bland yeah. and boring and terrible. And up in um, Nepal, the tendency was for the Nepalese to uh, mimic um, Western food. So they would do their version of pizza, their version of pasta, their version of um, chocolate cake, yeah. and so on. So so it was a bit of fun. It's a bit, a bit of it. But I just want to say, I'm sitting there in this temple and I'm just um, contemplating where I'm going next. And I've got, oh, for fuck's sake, all I ever seem to be doing is thinking about where I'll go next. I'm never in the moment. And I've had no spiritual training, right? I've never heard this from anybody else. I self, my own self inquiry said, I'm never present. I'm always on the move for the next thing, the next excitement, the next part of my journey. Instead of just allowing what's happening now just to Just happen. to be in this moment, enjoy the, the smell of the flowers, the, yeah. the breeze, the wind on my skin, da-da-da-da. And um, I went, oh, maybe I need to do something about that. So a few months later, I'm back in Australia. I'm in Brisbane. And it's like, okay, well, that was a two-year round. That was, that was a two-year overseas trip. Did I get anything out of it? No, not really. But... I know one thing, I've got to still my mind. Okay, I'm going to, what, what will I do? And I remember uh, thinking I'll do some yoga. I saw some um, signs up saying Hatha Yoga. I'll try that. So I did some yoga and I, I did a few different Eastern things. But then one day I'm, I'm in downtown Brisbane and I saw an orange person. And I went, oh my God, they're here. And I remember I just went straight up to this young father and I said, oh, hey, how are you doing? Uh, you Rajneesh, I, I, I saw you guys in India. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, um, but we have centres everywhere. There's a centre in Brisbane right now. We just opened it. It's just over there in Queen, Queen Street. And what did you know about the Rajneesh people at this point? Like, did you know of a oh. guru? The... Okay, no, no, actually, thank you. you, you now, now you've caught me. Now a, a bit of honesty will come out. Yeah. So what I, just a few days before that, the Courier Mail, which is the Brisbane newspaper, had put out a, it was about on the second, third page, a uh, little story about Rajanish and how he was, how his followers were now in Australia. So it was a picture of, it might have been him or a couple of the orange people in, in a room just doing a bit of swirling. I think they were doing the morning meditation, which was a, to music. And so it was this lovely photograph of these guys swirling around in orange to, to, to music. And um, caption says, sex guru. <laughs> That's the caption, sex guru. Sell it to any went, young oh, right. Yeah, and I any. went, sex guru. Oh, I went, oh my God. Because <laughs> I'm only 21. I'm, I'm horny as can be. And I went, oh, this is great. So I, I read the article and it basically said 
um, Indian guru pro- proclaims to liberate Western people from the from the shackles shackles of um, sex um, sex reoppression and so on. Tries to liberate the Western mind. And I read a little bit. And I went, wow, this guy is interesting. I can go and meditate with him, and I can have lots of sex because he said he basically said um, he's a guru of free free sex. So I went, oh, fantastic. So, so he's kind of speaking your, your language there, to, uh, speaking the speaking language the biological of a young, urge. Yeah, language. at a twenty-one year old. Yeah, and he's also like giving you these insights of what yourself, and that, that's the thing. It's like you're in this moment of life of like self-search, of like pilgrimage, right? And he's like suddenly like giving you that discovery, like you're on your path of self-discovery, and he's suddenly related to you. You're <laughs> like, hang on a second, there might be something here. Indeed. So okay, so. You've okay, so you suddenly become aware of this guru. Like yeah. you've, you've seen the orange people in India before, and you've and s- he's ticking off a few questionable boxes. Like yeah. he says, the way for for you to be happy is through the road of enlightenment, which which means meditation, self reflection, meditation, and and freeing yourself up psychologically from the from the um, confines and the binds of the Western mind, which is all about. Um, going outside yourself and expanding and, and, and trying to accumulate and gather and um, expand. So like the capitalist kind of like yes. um, mentality. Mm, mm. Yeah. Which is the consumerism unfulfilling mentality. Yeah. In, in, Short-term in some ways. fulfillment rather mm. than... And yeah. um, over there they call um, sexual therapy is also known as tantra. And I looked into that and I went, oh, this is great. You, through the sexual union of male and female... You can also have a wonderful, joyful sexual experience, but you can also obtain enlightenment in God through the through the joining of the two bodies. So, wow, I was like, okay, this guy's at least got me interested. I can have some sex because I'm a young man (laughs) that 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 is sexually driven. He's telling me that I can um, free myself and become happier and more content in myself if I meditate. He offered over a hundred meditation techniques, and I can do it in a group with all these like-minded people about my age. Or older and younger, but wow, here I go. So as I coming back to the guy that I met in the street in Brisbane, I said, wow, you guys are here. There you are. Um, what's happening? And he said, well, we have a center. We're open in the mornings and evenings. You can come to a, a discourse. We have videos of the master, because right now he's not here. He's living, he's in, living in Pune in India. I've, in fact, I've just come, come back from India, and I will go back again in six months. And I said, is it really good fun? He said, oh, it's wonderful. So because of that, I went that, that night and um, listened to his um, talk and we did a meditation together and I went, oh, I like this. There were several women there too and they were lovely to speak with and um, they, I, I, let's put that, I, I was sold. I thought, at least I'm going to try this out. So within a, a month or two, I, um, I um, asked to take sannyas, which meant I was in and I wanted to dedicate myself to um, listening to his teachings, to practice whatever he told us was good for our soul to help us sort of awaken. Now, don't forget, it's really at that stage and even today, it's very difficult for a Westerner to take on this concept of a guru. Yeah. You know, it's like, what? What was that like for, say, like family and friends of yours? Because was this, when this happened, was this at like the start of the movement or like the middle like, where was the orange movement? Uh, probably in the middle there, actually. So I was like, kind of like when it's like related or when it's sparked this interest in you, it's like right in kind of the middle of the movement. Yes. And so it's, it's captured you. You're, you're suddenly in. What did the people around you think? Like, what your parents or like, so you're suddenly saying like, I, I can imagine like, 
oh, my mum's kind of pretty open to anything. But if I just rocked up <laughs> home, I was like, oh, mum, like I've decided I'm going to, mm. you know, suddenly mm. pack up everything and move to India and go follow a guru and call, and change my name and, and become a sannyasin. She'd probably be like, what are you, what? Yeah. What are yeah. you talking about? You know what I mean? Like, no. so how was, how was that, that for you? It wasn't too difficult since even though I was back in my hometown, I was, I was with my parents for a moment. But then uh, when I got involved with the Rajneesh, I, I, I joined up straight away, which actually meant moving in. So I became part of the Brisbane com- community. Um, they had a centre in downtown Brisbane and a f- there was two or three houses yeah. just in the outskirts in Milton. And, um, and so did you have to wear orange? Yes. So straight up. So did... Did you find people like looking at you guys weird or were you quite, um, were you accepted? No, it, yes and no. Um, it, there's, there's, a two, there's, there's, there's a two-edged sword to that. There is this... Um, Fear. Well, there's this thing about um, wanting to be accepted, but then sticking out is nice too. Yeah. You know, so there's this like, here's this sort of, uh, here's, the, here's a way that I can present myself to people here. I've said yes to, to becoming a... Um, Sanyasin, which is the Indian term for a follower of, of of the master. So here I am. I'm a sanyasin. I'm choosing to wear to wear orange clothing and a mala, which is a um, 88 beads of um, sandalwood beads around your neck with a picture of the guru. Yeah. So that was my clothing to wear. Was there like strict rules? No. Would no you just s- just the clothing. Did you feel that it was a cult? Like, because other people looking straight up and it like it gets called a cult. Like at the time. Were people calling it a cult? And for you, did you feel it was? No. Or did you just feel no. it? didn't have any feeling of, of no, a cult? No, 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 no. Not at all. Um, there's n- there's, it's only a cult when you feel trapped in there. I was not trapped. I was not co- coerced. I was not made to go there. Or brainwashed? No, no, not at all. It was just something that literally like just interested you. Like yes. It just literally well, as I was, to you. Yes. Well, as I was saying, I was, I, was, I was looking for something outside the normal Western way of living yeah. that would fulfill and satisfy me. Here was a guru saying, well, meditation. Thank you. I'm getting that. To still the mind. He gave many, many talks about the, the monkey mind, how it's agitated. It's always jumping around. And that if you're going to have any sort of a calm, still life, joyable life, you've You've got to try and not necessarily con- contain it or master it. Yeah. You just need to know that it's there and this is what it does. This is the, what the monkey mind does and you need to come to peace with that and try not to be um, swayed by it to do irrational, stupid things. So do, is, do you find the 21-year-old you grew from this? Like at that time, jo- becoming a sannyas and joining the orange people? I needed something terrible because I was suffocating starving for um, acceptance and um, friendship which I didn't really find in the normal world I would have little relationships and so forth but it's just really well recognised that you even said it to me earlier I love living here at Gulawai because I feel part of a community there's this yeah. structure that holds me this is what the Rajneesh movement did it um, in- encapsulated me I became one with it and I felt totally at home and some of my drug addiction started to pass away. Like I was, I was a bit of a drinker and I was smoking pot pretty, pretty regularly and that all just fell away because I was suddenly psychologically nourished by being, in, being, being part of and accepted in a group. That's just like that, the whole the rat experiment with cocaine. Oh, so yes. in the 70s they, they did the... the oh, yes. In a cage, a rat with mm-hmm. cocaine and coca- uh, with water. 
in one one drinking fountain and the other one was cocaine water mm. and they all got addicted to the co- cocaine and then they 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 made rat city mm. and as soon as they had community social um as soon as they had like family structure social structure everything was like they had a flourishing they, they could thrive yes they they never went to the cocaine mm. That's so right. for you, that was the, that exactly thing. You're turning to these things. You're turning to these substances for something, and then suddenly you found this meaning. You didn't need it. There you go. Absolutely. So that was wonderful for me. It was so healing to um, join 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 the um, Rajneesh movement, dawn the clothing and the mala, uh, do the practices for. So we did first, you work? Yes, yes. However, what tends to happen? No, sorry. I, like in normal society, do you have a job and then like suddenly you give everything up? Or okay, so in the beginning, I first I just went and, and tasted the waters, and then I said I'd like to join, and they said great. And by then, because I'd been around for a few months, I knew what was um, expected of me and what it meant to join the community. And what it was was like this: um, this was in Brisbane. There was a centre. Um, I would do the morning meditation at six o'clock we go in and do this meditation called dynamic meditation which was a good one hour physical meditation it was full on you do 15 minutes of cathartic breathing just really energetic and then there'd be um, a 15 minute where you just let go and explode or dance or sing or scream or holler that fifth that first 15 minutes of deep erratic breathing would um, allow you to to break open anything that was stuck inside your psyche and then you just explode and the, the whole room it just mm. there'd be people screaming and dancing and shouting and crying and thumping and bashing and and then do 15 minutes of that and then the music would change and then do 15 minutes of just meditation being still and then the, it would end for the last 15 minutes of just this nice soft dance yeah and this was all because this was all too um it's very well known in in india that you say yoga for instance the um the practice of yoga was to get you into meditation which was meaning by doing some yoga movement and posturing and breathing that would then you would do that for half an hour an hour and then after that that would um allow the mind to still and the body would feel at ease and then you could get into to meditation so that was one of the medi- that was one of the meditations which was first to be very active yeah. and energetic and that would allow you to be still and that was part of his teachings was that, you know, you've, you are Westerners, you've got to move, it's best to move, you've got a body anyway, so use it. So it wasn't just sitting still and watching your breath and sitting there for days on end. Yeah. Although that is part of the meditation. Te- that, that's one of his many so, meditation techniques. So you'd do that at six and then what, would you go do your job, like a normal job? Oh, okay, like so I'll give you the day. So you, you, you did the meditation. It depends on where you were. I must admit, in Brisbane wasn't, wasn't really established when I showed up, so... Um, a German guy came out, he had some money, he wanted to live on a farm full of Rajneesh people. A, a community on a farm went fantastic. So he, he took some money and me and a few other friends and we went up to Cairns and we went up to, up to um, Mariba and he bought a couple of hundred acres and on hundred acres was oranges and mangoes and we, we farmed it. And it was kind of funny because we used to go to the markets down in Cairns and the Karanda markets, and we were the orange people selling oranges. Really? And mangoes. Yeah, that was in the early 80s. So 
But this is what I'm confused about. When you joined this movement, did you have to give up your normal job? Like the people that joined, or would they like live a normal life and then be a sannyasin? Or would you have to give up your outside life? Okay, sorry. Okay, I, I see what you're saying. Because I joined the community in the Western world, in Australia, because there was, there was um, you've got to remember, he was, the, the guru was from Pune in India. And when you join over there, you, you, you haven't got a job. You're Western, you've got some money. You just go to the ashram every day. You would sit and meditate. You would do something called service or worship, which is to actually then volunteer maybe to help the place run because, you know, you might have two, three, four hundred followers that would come in the mornings and sit in meditation and then the master would come, he would talk or he might just sit with you in stillness. Then after he would go back at, say, nine o'clock, then it would be like, well, breakfast time. So there were these volunteer kitchens and they would dish up some really beautiful morning breakfast for you. And then if you wanted to, you might say, well, I feel like being of service, so you might join, join the gardening team. So you might just spend the day in the gardens, making the place beautiful. This Rajneesh guy, Guru, was always saying that, you know, you're Westerners and you need something to do, so you should be active. So in India, there was not many much to do because it was Indian run. Yeah. We were Westerners, we had money. So what he asked us to do was to, to do some therapy. So if you went to India and you were at the ashram in Pune, before he went to Oregon, to America, it was all about doing therapy. And um, that's fairly well documented. The therapies at the time were pretty new. They were pretty cathartic. That was a little bit violent because it was all about bringing up your, your um, primal past, your, um, your, your birth, your early childhood, all those emotions that are trapped, and breaking that open. And what do you mean by violent? Like just people yelling well, and screaming? Yeah, a lot of that. Well, yes. But and not fighting. No, well, the early days you were allowed to punch each other. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But that, that got closed down pretty quickly, especially when it, when it became public and known that that was happening. So they, they um, quieted yeah. it down. And the guru said, okay, well, no more punching each other. You can punch pillows instead. So it yeah, um, right. calmed down to that. So if you were to go to India and go to the ashram there, you would go there so you could sit at the feet of the master, feel his energy, energy energetically. Yeah. Because it was my experience um, when I did finally get to be with him in Pune 2, we called it. I finally had the opportunity to be quite close to him. And I could feel, I could feel his energy. It, it was palpable. There was something moving on in there. Some people, it make them very, very happy. Yeah. Um, people like me, I actually got very um, fearful. And um, I, do rec- I did hear stories of, of women that used to, in the early days, Pune 1, before he went to America and they got the guns and they, they got a bit worried about um, the need to defend themselves. In Pune 1, a, f- a few women used to talk about sitting on his lap and having orgasms just from sitting on his lap. Really? Mm. Do you reckon he would sleep with a lot of women? He definitely slept with one or two of his carers, but that was already known and it wasn't any yeah. big, big deal. Okay, okay, okay. Wait. We're kind of going off the point here, aren't yeah, we? Okay, okay. Yeah, okay, okay. So if... Okay, back in the, in the... Is this in the 70s when you joined? No, 1980. In so the 79, 80s. 79. Um, then, being a Westerner in Australia, in Australian orange people thingy hmm. um, section, is um, would you have to quit your job? Okay. Or could you work? Yeah, yeah. So yes, you are, could. Okay, I'm yeah. just trying to figure out like how they had how money to be them or like... How, how it was structured. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. Okay, straight to the point. Simple. If it was in the Western world... See, I was just telling, giving you a mm. taste of what it was like in India. Mm. In the Western world, because we all left there and came back, or, or I didn't, but um, those Westerners that had been to India then went back to their homes. 
now Rajni said, well, if you want to stay, stay together, stay as a family. So when you go back to Brisbane or, or New York or um, San Francisco, start up a centre, hang out together. So we would start businesses. So when I, when I finally went, left the Orange Farm and the, the um, farm up north, I moved to Sydney where there was already a centre set up in Paddington in Sydney. There was a centre where we all came together, we did our meditations and we um, had meals all together. Then um, there was several businesses. One was Zorba the Buddha Cafe, Zorba the Buddha Restaurant. We had a Zorba the Buddha Cleaning Service because all of them were, were, were called that. And we had a discotheque down in Chinatown really? as well. And, uh, and there was a handyman business and a travel agency. So all we did was um, create all these businesses and man them with our own people. So how it was structured was this. Uh, I joined. If you had money and you wanted to give it, you could. If you had your money and you want to keep it, it was fine. You didn't have to give anything away. It, that was never there. But a lot of people did, 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 did give lots of money. Some people kind gave, gave millions. Like donations, kind of like yeah. how the, the Mormons, um, I think they like donate like 10% of their pay to the church kind of thing. It's oh, like tithing, yeah. But no, it wasn't tithing, though. No. Yeah. But it was more like if you wanted to con- contribute and you had money, great, put it in. Some, I did hear that if you had a lot of money, somebody might approach you and ask you to donate a lump sum of something. Yeah. Because my friend up north, yeah, he had millions and I think they wanted a million or two from him. And that must have occurred because... Wow, what they did in Oregon was huge, mammoth job. What I got in um, compensation for joining the community and um, being of service in one of these uh, businesses, which I would put in an eight-hour eight day, um, I would get free meals and board. And if I had to see a doctor, you know, I'd go see a doctor and they would cover my dental so, and uh, clothing. So I actually needed for nothing. I didn't have to make any money. I made money by being in, in one of the businesses. What if you like wanted to... like? go get a beer or something like spare cash or you wanted to buy a chocolate at the shop would you uh, i didn't well, i didn't have any money but what i found was this there was so many people that there was a lot of us that joined the community and were part of it but if you if if you were still a sannyas and you still wanted to be around it and still wanted to come but keep a keep a job out there then you could you could do that and then they would ask you well if you want to be a member still how about you con- contribute say a hundred dollars a week why don't you give us some money anyway yeah and so, the, and then you can come in and have have meals with us. So some people had outside jobs and they earned money and they bring it in and they, and they would give some of it and keep some of it. And others like myself just went all the way in, lived in there twenty four seven. So I never had any money. But guess what? I always found that if I wanted to go and have a beer with somebody, somebody had there had some money and they gave it to me. So it was a real wonderful sense of sharing and giving, and com community. In fact, the. F- one, th- one other thing you got every year from that was a uh, trip to Oregon to, to be with Rajneesh at uh, Rajneesh Puram, which was the new commune that they set up, which is, which is in that video in of Wild Wild Country. Because yeah. prior to that, Rajneesh was in India, in Pune. There was... And that was because they got so many followers. That they started getting such a Western interest that he decided to start another community in America. There was something was going on with politics in, in India at the time. And for his health and safety, they felt they needed to get him out of India. He was actually causing a bit of ruffle with the main, uh, with the politicians. Because his um, whole philosophy was um, break loose of the shackles of, of the structured life that you're in. Be free. Play, play around sexually. 
uh, especially for Western people. He said, Western people are really stuck because you've you, you had the Christians telling you to be celibate and, yeah. and, 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 that, and that sex is evil. And he just said, so psychologically, the Western mind needs to be freed up of that. And, and so did so you he, guys do that? Yeah, yeah. So what was it like? Like, how would that work? Like, in, in, the, in Paddington in Sydney, in, this, in the center there? I had a woman every week. Like, as in a girlfriend every week? Or as in, like, there's a group of people, say there's 30 people in the centre, 15 males, 15 women, let's mm. just say. Like, just, yeah. like how's that? Working? No, it, it, was still, it was still all about being uh, attracted to, to a man or a woman. So it was more like this. It was more like, he, how can I put it? You weren't made to feel bad if you no, had no, any no. attraction. If you didn't want to partner up with somebody, you didn't have to. If, the, if you didn't want to fuck around, you didn't have to. You didn't have to do anything. But if you, were, if you felt like you wanted to sexually muck around and and have several partners and jump from partner to partner by all means do it explore it go into it look at it have fun instead of this um western com this western way of just be with the one partner and sit there and live your life together how did you find Not that, that that's a bad thing yeah but he said experiment with it look at it get into it how to find it didn't work actually i found that i um at first i went this is great it's a smorgasbord i can fuck around as much as i want there's women on tap. They're, they're, all, they're already in a psychological agreement to, to flirt and, and sexually play around because they've been told it's okay. So they're willing to play. What I did find out, though, was that women can't have casual sex. It doesn't work for them. My experience is that for a woman, sex is, is love. It's not, it's not something you play with. And as soon as you actually, the man enters the woman, there's a psychological thing that happens to a woman she is bound to you in a way and the exchange there's more of an attachment there so, oh well, it's, so it's love it's you know yeah. I'll, I'll use these words like this man just likes to have sex when he doesn't understand what he wants what it's about he just wants to have sex and get his rocks off and has, have an orgasm to him it's more sexual play sex to a woman is more love yeah and so if you have sex with a woman just oh, a couple of one night stands and then never talk to her again and then and, and, and then end it, she will usually find that painful and, and be spiteful against you. So um, after doing that for a few years with several women, I realized this, this doesn't work. I stopped um, fucking around, you might say. Yeah. Because it, it didn't work. But at the same time, there was plenty of uh, partnerships in there. There were pa- plenty of people that were together for many years. Yeah. It was just a place where you could go and experiment. He said, I, experiment. Just- I kind of understand what you mean. I remember... Um- Rio said this to me and he actually spent a lot of time in Pune. Um, so he's out of the conversation. I did conversations with an enlightened elder. And he was, remember him talking about that, this, this confinement that society puts on sex. And he was saying like, not feeling guilty. Yes. So just, and I, so I kind of get this, um, this philosophy as in like, he was saying like, if you're w- with a woman, you know, like she would have a good time and you would have a good time and you're both wanting to, but the, if, the sh- if these like shackles are like, oh, the, if this philosophy is on you that you're not allowed to do that, he's like, just drop it. I remember him saying, just drop it. It's just like, why would you, why would you deny yourself a good time or deny her a good time when you both like to do it out mm. of like fear of like what societal pressures put on because he's like that doesn't mean anything he's like that's literally just someone else's idea and you don't have to take it and so i kind of get that i, fu- well I fully said. get that and it's just like yeah. 
you know, society saying, no, you can't be like this. It's going to be, you know. Hmm. And it's just like, I, I kind of don't get that. It's like, well, she would have a good time and I would have a good time and we want to experience that. It's like, well, what's the problem? And I kind of get it. There is no problem. No. But I think the problem is exactly what you're saying is the biological sense of like doing that all the time. It's like you're wasting their time kind of biologically. It's like they're looking for more love and more deeper connection with you. And if you can't provide that to them, you're wasting their time. And I suppose you're kind of seeing that firsthand because you're under this philosophy of saying like it's okay so everyone's experimenting in that and that's that's right yeah Mm. yeah so that's how the organization or the community raise funds and so we do we would work for a year and every summer in oregon we would fly over to, to do a celebration and it would be uh, a couple of weeks. Is that exciting times? Oh, like knowing that you're going to... So mm. what was it like going to America, going to, like, arriving in a different country, wearing orange as a whole movement? What was this like? Pretty in- bizarre, I must say. Pretty bizarre, it's true. you just got to remember, the whole time there's this feeling, I'm part of this, I'm part of a, a, a bigger me... Yeah, it's all inclusive. Everyone, we all love each other. We're all here for the same reason to try and wake ourselves up, and to just love and care each other. And so, you know, you get on a plane together. With, like we actually booked one whole plane to go to America. We actually got in contact with Qantas and said, "Well, we are three hundred people. Well, this, let's let's charter the plane." So we just got on the one plane and flew over, and we went to San Francisco, and then we hired a bus, uh, a bus, and we got the bus up. Yeah, right. A coach, coach. Yeah, and that was happening all all, all over the world. Um, Germany was amazing. The, um, the Germans were so good at um, organising themselves. They had, they had so many businesses that worked really well because the, the Germans seemed to be a bit more authoritarian, a bit more structured, a bit more closed down. So when they got Rajneesh's method or message of free yourself up, meditate, act wild, free yourself, explore, go out there and do what you want, they did. And they, their um, discotheques, had huge crowds come in. They made tons of money. All the restaurants were famous. Um, yeah. it, just, it just flourished. And so there was all this money coming into the um, centre in, in Oregon. And, uh, wow, overnight, like in the first year, they bought this huge ranch, as it, it'll be spoken about in that uh, documentary. They bought this humongous ranch, built the airport straight away, put in 10 kilometres of paved road with bitumen and tarred. They built the city in 12 months and they, they did a downtown, you might say, a village setting, you know, a post office, some, yeah. some restaurants and cafes. And, um, and then the accommodation all went up and um, within a year there was accommodation for 5,000 people and a township. When you're, okay, here's something. So you're going into just another society, right? You go over to Oregon. Hmm. I'm, what's the difference between going to that compared to say going downtown byron bay you know with like you go somewhere where it's like a lot of like-minded people everyone's hanging out is there still like kind of social structures where there's like the cool people like you know like there can be clicks yeah, yeah, yeah was yeah. it was it clicky or was it just more open and free or like it was it was definitely more open than the average society society out there definitely more open than say walking down the streets of byron bay where there's all sorts of wow I, I, I still feel I feel comfortable there, but yeah. no, the fact that everyone's there for the one reason to, to start with, and then of course you know it, it would branch out into people that have other hobbies and ideas and things that they they're more into. Like um, I don't know, I just felt at, at one with everybody there, so I didn't really break it up into yeah. types of. But of course, there was you know, there was always a handful that I felt most comfortable with, and they're the ones I gravitated to and had my uh, meals with. 
yeah. you might say. So would you get your own room when you went over to Oregon? Would you? No, no, no. Well, you, I didn't have my. I never had my own room f- at all when I was involved. Because in, say, Sydney, as I said, we in Paddington, we had a um, centre, which we were renting. And there was probably ooh, six or seven houses all around that area from, um, from around Paddington all the way down to Bondi out to Val, Val Clues. We had houses which we all lived, which we would, which we'd live in. And I would, share, uh, I would usually share a, a room with four people. Really? Mm. But I didn't mind Bad, because we were all good friends and we're all... It was Having just a fun. Good time. Yeah, yeah, it was you, just so much fun. I can imagine it being like just like one big party. <clears> it was. Not stopping. It was. It was. Yeah. Uh, and if I did go home for a sleep, it, it wasn't very long. And, you know, it was really cool. You walk in and there might be one or two other people in, in the bedroom there with you. And yeah. often there was there, them with some, some other people bonking. It was so common for somebody to be having sex right, right next to you. It was like you, you kind of go, oh, please, just... Well, keep hurry up. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was very common. And then when you did you ever live in Oregon, in the in the community there? Not full time. I was there for six months at at, at one stint. Yeah, one right. stint. I, I went over for the celebration, and stayed another five months. And my my job when I was there was at the what they called the truck farm, which was the where all the agriculture was done, where the farming was happening. It, it's it seemed to be that if you're an Australian. They, pe- they pegged you as a guy that could drive a tractor. So you were pretty well slotted into farming. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which was great. Cause there was a lot of us Aussies down on the farm um, doing the cultivation and bringing the lettuce and the tomatoes and the cucumbers and the beetroots. And then that would all get farmed and take up to the, to the main um, cafeteria, e- eating areas. So um, there was meals put on every day, breakfast, noon yeah. and night. So... What I loved about it was everything was taken care of. You just had to do your, your one part. My part was to drive a tractor for seven days a week for eight hours a day. And um, for that, I got to see the master. He would do... Um, um, at that time when I was there in Oregon, he was in silence. But we'd all go into Buddha Hall, which was this big aeroplane hangar. It was humongous. And he'd sit up on this podium and we'd, thousands of us would just sit around the ground at his feet stretch over many, many metres, um, hundreds of metres, and sit there in silence and just sit there for an hour or two with him. There'd be a bit of music played. And then we'd, um, after the meditation with him for the morning, we'd go off and do our individual jobs, whatever they were. Some people would be in admin, some were people still building something. Uh, there was an airport there, so people were flying in and out. Um, and one of the main incomes for the farm in Oregon or the, the centre was um, workshops, therapies. So what, you're building things and then selling it? No, no, it was always construction of the um, town itself. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Did you find the philosophy was working on you? Were you becoming more in the now? No, no. So would you say it was just a Thank good you. time, an excuse yes, just yes. for having a good time? Only for me, only for me. I must say I've met so many other brothers and sisters that were there that had such has such a heartfelt connection with Rajanish. I didn't realise I had it until afterwards because what occurred was I didn't know him in India, so I didn't have the one-on-one. I didn't get any proximity to him till uh, we left Australia and then flew over to Oregon where he was now residing. And then I was capable of being within some distance of him, but I was, al- I was always at least 100 metres away from him because... Uh, there was the inner circle of people that knew him, the Westerners that had known him from the days back in India. 
And so there was a hierarchy of people or followers that always were in in the front. And then uh, then after 50 minutes... would 10, you find that there was out. ego in that? As in like, oh, definitely. Look, look, tons of it. Look, everyone's still an ego. Everyone's still an ego. No, no one really got enlightened, if you ask me. It was just a great time. For me, it, it just freed me up from feeling so Western and, and shackled and, and gave me a taste of a different possibility. And I did some meditations. I did some workshops. I got a lot out of it. You partied a lot, had fun. Yeah, all of that. The spiritual aspect of it. I know so many that got so so much from it, and as I said, it seemed to be the the Puna One people, the ones that were there before Oregon, because I feel because of the proximity to him, got a lot out of it. Yeah, because I do I do believe it that that there's a truth to that, to be around the master, especially even in a distance, is um when, helpful. When you call him master, do you still feel that now? Like I suppose that that's it'd be mm. so weird for other people. When you're calling someone master, because it's like your freedom's taken away. Yes. But do you feel that at all? No, no, no. Like I, I can, that's I can a just Western. see that being a charge word, like master or mm. like God. You know, mm. like you say God, and people shrivel up. My guru. It's like God just, just energy. I don't know. It's just whatever. My master, my guru. Yes. Yeah. yeah you're no. a teacher. You're a teacher. Yeah, you're a teacher. It's just like, well, you're a teacher to me. Like when you help me build on my house, I'm like looking at you in that in that moment. You're hmm. a master. You know, I'm learning. I know something you. you don't know, and yeah, you're exactly. learning from me. Yeah. And so, like, when you're out doing this philosophy, or like learning this different way of life, I can understand he's a master because he's the one teaching you. Yeah. Or guiding. I'd say it's, it, it's more a guidance because really no one can wake you up. Yeah. It's not possible. And one thing that does occur to, well, so here I am. I'm now 60. I've had 30, 40 years of this. I've had 40 years of looking around. I dabbled in the Rajanish for seven years, had a great time. It was so beneficial to me. He spoke so widely of so many of the other gurus and the other teachings and the other masters and, and what they had to say. And what I found was that for my Western mind, my mind that, that needed answers, he, it was too broad and all he was saying was meditate and live your life. And he, he, he offered so much that I started to get that he confused you more yes there seemed to be a contradiction yeah and a lot of and a lot of us spoke together about that a lot of other followers too said wow geez i yesterday i really sat there and i got a lot out of it and today i went there and it was like i was my, my uh, head spinning and that seemed to be a, a normal conversation with a lot of us then and it was like well it doesn't matter you just sit there and take it in and it's maybe a lot of it's happening and energetically anyway so what I found with Rajneesh was that there was nothing was taboo. There was tarot cards, there was tarot readings, there was crystal healings, there was workshops and meditations. Anything went because it was all about exploring and breaking open the Western psyche. So it was yeah. great. It was so beneficial to me because I felt so lost and isolated and alone in the Western yeah. paradigm. Just blah. It's just I guess, terrible. I can imagine it being... Um from being lost and then suddenly being so accepted in like a social environment that that'd be so empowering just for yourself, just with you mm. giving you power to live your life yes. as in because you suddenly had so much connection and you've had so, so much um, acceptance, you know what I mean? So it's like, I think that's what's important. Why like sporting for children, like joining sports clubs are doing, um, yeah, or just like soccer teams are doing guy like bingo, yeah, scouts or, or anything. It's just giving them that meeting and make them feel accepted in something. Indeed, thank you. And that's that's the Western's version of inclusion. I mean, to be part of something. 
So yeah. in this world, you're right. We have sail clubs, yacht clubs, footy clubs, RSLs. Yeah. They're all clubs to bring us together to give us a sense of community and family. It's so important. There is so much out there on the psychological need for us to be in a tribe, yeah. for us to be in a community. And that's what, for me, if I've got anything out of being with, with Rajneesh was the, the total need to be included in something like that. Yeah. You, you, could, you could get the same benefit from joining a um, motorcycle club if you're into motorbikes. You could get it from anything else. So long as it, you'd get that acceptance and that fulfillment. Exactly, exactly. It's 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 so well done. Just like those, um, and that's just what those mice that were having yeah. cocaine or or um, water. Yeah, that's just what you found, and those like hundreds of thousands of other people found at the time. That was their thing. I've got one thing just to share. After seven years or so, I left Rajanish. What ended up, what ended up happening was the uh, movement fell apart in in Oregon. In America, there was this whole controversy. What was that like being a member? When that fell apart, did it make you question? Oh, it was so upsetting for me because that's it was so because I was I was really enjoying it. And I was it was it felt like the the family was breaking up. I, I was it, it made me fearful because I was I was in it for like five years and it was great and I felt part of a community and I felt whole. All my previous addictions, as I said, you know, I used to smoke cigarettes and alcohol and, and, yeah. and a bit of pot. I wasn't doing that while I was there. I didn't didn't even occur to me something you know any any addiction seemed to be filled yeah. so that kept me in a, a lovely quiet space a, lo- a nice easy pace so when the when it started to fall apart and um, Sheila was um, putting poison in the town waters in that country town in Oregon and and when it uh, when the government came in and when they um, when Rajnish tried to fly the country, but they caught him and they put him in isolation. As as a as a orange person at the time, did you know of all this happening on the inside? Did you know any of this, or you're just hearing it from the news only, or were you hearing it from the inner circle coming down through the actual Rajnish? There was, was a little happening? bit. Of, there was a bit of murmur, definitely. There, yeah. there was some some murmur of all that. Yes. When all this negative press was happening, you're learning about some of the depths of the darkness that was happening inside the the cult or the philosophy or the the movement. Did you feel betrayed? Yeah, I did because somehow it got all it got all really greedy. Because um, as it was said in the in the documentary, that ranch out there in Oregon, it was in the middle of nowhere. It was five six hours inland in in the um, in the middle of these rough hilly um, countryside, and um, the closest town was like twenty kilometers away, and it was a small little spitty town of with like ten people in it. It was nothing, and but that was the gateway into the into the ranch which we had purchased, and. Um, for some reason, very typical of America, very, very, a lot of America is a, a Christian belt, mm. a very um, rigid Christian philosophy. So, you know, orange people rocking up to this Christian yeah. community of like 20 people it just freaked them out and they just hated us immediately. And I can understand horror. the fear of the unknown too because they have no idea what's going on. No. The fear of the unknown. Before... I was just thinking when you're talking about before, like everyone, like with the master, right? So you have this guru and you have someone you believe in, right? And this person, this philosophy, it's like it's giving strength within yourself, right? And then I kind of imagine like seeing that person, Osho in this case, like suddenly becoming out as a, as a fraud, which whether if he was or, or he wasn't, but it's like you, the movement kind of fell apart. Mm. And so it's like this belief system of someone believing in something greater it's suddenly they're not greater. And I can see so many people getting so lost within that. I often think about this with Wim Hof, right? 
So Wim Hof, you know, has got he's got does a breathing technique and he's got 27 world records through his his pretty much strength of mind oh. and his breathing technique, right? But he has a lot of followers now and he teaches people the strength of his he teaches people his breathing technique and to like kind of strengthen your mind. Mm. And I was doing it um quite a bit and I still do it, do it quite a bit, but um I was really into it and I just remember thinking like it was giving me so much strength. And right now, especially in the spearing community, the diving community, they, they kind of hate it because they've got other breathing techniques. They're like, oh, and try and like, and try and like kind of see it as a fraudulent thing. And I feel like it's really sad to do that because it doesn't matter. What, what matters is what it comes down to is that he's giving people so much strength. You know what I mean? Mm. And like his philosophy or his just breathing or just by seeing what he can, he's been able to achieve, gives me so much strength so it's like when you other people come in and try and put flaws or put holes in his technique which has given him so much strength you know 27 world records you can't deny but it's like Mm. when you do that it's like oh well maybe it isn't so great well maybe i'm not maybe i can't do that and it like you know it makes you question yourself and like if suddenly then he gets made out to be a fraud let's say then all these people that suddenly have this inner strength because they're using him as a as motivation suddenly kind of lose that and I think that's so sad you know what I mean that's the human con- condition that's that that's yeah. what that's what we do it's but do you reckon that happened with these hundreds of thousands of people when when yes. well, the look, community fell it, apart yes yeah but well basically I'll just cap it with this um, Rajneesh moved there he wanted to create a new a new city a new so- society a new way of living a more inclusive loving giving way of of, of living and he did it there in America, which is full of Christians and this really rigid way of being. And so just his presence there was offsetting and upsetting to them. So no matter what he did, he couldn't get it right. He was seen by the, the people in America and the government as some weird cult sex demon guru. And so as much as he tried to make it work and we tried to get on with people, there was this toing and froing. They started to feel attacked. We started to, to feel vulnerable. The next thing I knew, something that should have never happened, Sheila, that was overseeing the day-to-day workings of the Oregon camp, um, started to bring in guns because, oh, that's right, Rajneesh Puram ended up becoming a city by its, its own right. All we had to do was have a certain amount of numbers of people and take it to council and then vote. So we all, all the people that were there voted and we became a, a, a city in itself. So we now had voting rights and we now were able to have a, um, a city name, a, a post office, a uh, council police force and so that allowed us to have our own police that were allowed to be armed so next thing you know we had in there we had firearms like you won't believe did you did you, did you see these did you see well, i didn't see the whole um uh, armament but um yeah. or, or there, there were guards everywhere there was um there was the uh, what they called there was a name for the police force it was more the peace force yeah but they had semi-automatic weapons and they had a, a um, uniform, so yeah. their presence was there. But it was all—I still didn't didn't bother me too much. But it was like there seemed to be a dichotomy. Like, here's this guru preaching beauty and love and this and intolerance, and, and here we are um, yeah, with arming guns. ourselves. Yeah, that was very weird. So, what happened in your life with the movement falling apart? Thank you. So, when it was really, really falling apart, I flew back to Australia then, and I got back to Sydney, and the commune felt weird. It was already falling apart then. Even in Sydney, members started to leave. And I went, oh, 
was, it was awful. It was devastating because I, I, I had no money. I had nothing and I had to leave. And yeah. I knew I had to leave then. So I remember going, oh, well, lucky. That's right. We have welfare in this country. So I remember going down the unemployment and saying, well, um, I've got no money. So they gave me some money and I hitchhiked to Perth because there was a centre there and there was still some orange people there. So I, I left the centre that I'd been a part of for several years and moved to Perth and sat there and tried to rebuild a life uh, outside the Rajneesh thing. It was difficult, and I found myself drinking again, taking drugs again, and everything that I had been, been able to not do, I started to pick up. All the bad habits came back. Those friends that you had within the Rajneesh movement, did you stay friends? Or like, was it just suddenly everywhere on their own? Thank you. It was nice knowing you. Everyone just went their separate ways, back Pretty, to normal life. A lot, a lot of, a lot of, yeah, a lot of them just went went their own ways. Like as in, well, that was fun. I'm yeah. better get back yeah. to life. Yeah, yeah, it, it did happen that way. However, fortunately, there was there was a there was a few in Perth, so there was some some people I could hang around with. But the the Perth centre folded, the Brisbane centre folded, um, and I just went travelling, and I just went up to to Broome and across to Cairns and I hung up there and then I did meet some Cairns Rajanishis that said that there was, there was a, a commune starting in Byron Bay. There was one at uh, Tiagra. You've probably heard of it. It's called um, Gondwana. Gondwana land. Yeah, yeah Gondwana yeah, I know it well. Yeah, so... Um, we have some friends up there. Mm, yeah, well, it's a very nice open place. So I, I heard that, 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 it was, that there were shares available. I didn't have any money, but I went down there anyway and checked it out and um, all the shares were bought up by then. But as is the movement with these things, a lot of guys were going back overseas and moving in here and there. So somebody might have a share with a house on it or a room and say, well, you can rent that from me. Yeah. So I ended up living there for a couple of years. Is that still part of the Rajneesh movement, Gondwana land? Like, do they still hold that philosophy? Yes, yes, yeah. It's got a healing center. It's got a, a meditation room. His picture's still up. It's just very free uh, with people coming and going. Yeah. They've got the, the main house and any visitor can now just come and stay there. You don't have to be a follower. Yeah. to come and stay as a visitor. So oh. it's, um, it's very open and free. It's a lovely place. So, so that, that nourished me for a while too when I got back. But then... Did you find you're searching again? Yes. And then... Um, so I don't want to get off track, but then just to finish it off. Right? So that was Rajneesh for me. And then within a few years... So I'll just finish this story. All the communes in Australia all fell apart. The German ones all fell apart. Everything started to fall apart which was a nice thing in a way. Somehow we were building it up. We were doing the Western thing. We were, having, we were building empires. And it all fell apart. He ended up fleeing America. He went to Greece for a while. He was, he was on Crete. And he, couldn't, he was kind of floating around Rajanish. But people were going to visit him there. And then finally he was able to go back to India. And he went back to Pune. And um, I did get to see him there. I went to Pune to visit him, and that's when, as I said in the beginning, I got the chance to be very close because all the guns were gone. He was back in the old ashram. There wasn't so many people. Um, I could go into the meeting hall, and even though I still couldn't get to the front, I was in a fairly small room. It wasn't as big as that big airplane hangar. And I was sitting there for a few, few weeks or a couple of months, actually, and every time I went in there, well, after about a month, I started to go in there and I'd get fearful and I would start to think I might even go a bit crazy. And when I did finally leave, I kind of fled. I was so fearful and scared of what was happening for me there that I just Why? Threw, threw my mouth. At the time, I just thought, I just, this is not for me. I'm too scared. I've got to get, 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 got to get out of here. It was a few years later I realized, oh, that was probably my psyche cracking open. It was probably him working deeply in me to break something open and expose it so I could 
possibly free up. Now, I'm just making that up. It might be true. It might not. So, but That's what, the feeling that I have. If you're scared, do you know what you're scared of? Or were you literally just anxious, like a heightened level of anxiety? Yeah, being in anxiety, that fearful. Well, I thought I was going to go crazy. I, I remember sitting at the back going, please don't scream out and don't jump up and down. Don't fucking lose it and fucking make a fool of yourself. That's what was happening. I was like, oh, God. And it wasn't until I shared that with somebody six months later, they said, you know, you might have been having a little... Mm. episode that, that that could have been beneficial to you and I went, oh well it's a bit late now well i know when i when i went and did vipassana in, in india in a um in a temple there they yeah i know like about halfway through it was like you kind of have those feelings you think you're going crazy and that's like the kind yeah. of the hurdle yeah and like once you get over that hurdle it's like then all the um growth kind of starts to happen yeah exactly and you just so, kind of become a bit more aware so did you get your awakening or did you get your into the now moment like did you find what you're searching for no 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 no, no, no. but it was all right it, no i did not and i started uh, i ended up flying back to australia getting rid of the mala and within about two months three months or something some rajanish people that i knew from the past said you should listen to this guy so there was another father so another teacher came on the scene and it worked for me it was another teacher his name was barry long he passed away about 15 years ago and he was a Western man that taught, taught Western people tantra, tantric, tantric sex. And he, his teaching was, you'll get your liberation, work for him, through lovemaking. And he was a Westerner. He was really straightforward. He taught a way of being a Westerner because um, a lot of Rajneesh people were going to him yeah. and still having their sannyasa names. And um, I remember one day he said, look, he was addressing everybody and he said, right, you know, all you guys that are here that with these, these foreign names, Rajanishi names, are you still with him? And if not, leave. Because um, if you're with me, then you, 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 shouldn't, be, you shouldn't be in two, two, two camps. You're either with him or you're with me. So if you're with him, please leave. And if you are staying here and you've still got a Rajanishi name, I'd like you to drop it because you're a Western person, have an ordinary name. Whoa, okay. And uh, I just liked him for that. He just he was black and white he said you're not an easterner that's that that's not your way you're a western person let's get on with it and he had a philosophy of how to live in the western world and i got a lot from him i liked the fact that he didn't have followers you went to see him and you paid money you sat for an afternoon chat with him and he sent you on your way he had some books for you to have you could speak with him he would come out and do a half an hour dialogue talk and then he'd have dialogue with you right it was what wonderful. I, what I find interesting about this is it's a bunch of people searching for meaning, right? Right. And it's like someone could be looking at this conversation, you know, from that and be like, oh, it's just a bunch of lost people looking for meaning. It is. But that's what we're all doing. I, I believe It's like so. literally what we're all doing and what we're yeah. doing in every day-to-day life with every, like we were saying before, the soccer club, the, the football club, the the these clubs that we have that develop community it's like we're we're searching for belonging right where however you find that it doesn't matter and it's just like think about this now like throughout throughout tribalism or throughout history we've always had the wise ones we've always had the guru Mm -hmm. we've always had this guy telling us we're not telling us how to be is like We've always felt lost and trying to find our way through life. Everyone has it. Everyone listening to this, everyone in life mm. has their individual path, right? And 
all we're doing is like listening to these other different philosophers or other it's trial and error and that's the elders right the elders hold the key and it's like they've lived through it and it's like we don't have to do it we don't have to live like anyone else but how we want to live but what we can do is like see what's worked for other people that's right and then bring it to our life and it's just like you know like you could look at man you could look at dude some of the teachings that, um, like Jesus, the Christian teachings, they're brilliant. If you want to bring some of them to your everyday to day life, it's like, oh, okay, love thy neighbor. Mm. Fuck, man. It's like, that's a great teaching. Okay, well, I'm going to take that one. Okay, what does Osho say in the Rush Niche? It's like, you know. Oh, some, lots of gems. Yeah, exactly. Mm. It's, it's just like, and that's kind of exactly what it is. It's just taking all these. But what I find it so interesting is, well, that's what it is. It's everyone's individual's insight of how they became to be and the ones that I'm the most interested in and a lot of the reason why I even do this podcast because this podcast in a way is my way of learning this. Yes. It's my way of getting other people's insights, my way of like learning other people's trial and error. I'm learning about all these people, different people's lives and the one thing is that it's all people that are either out there pushing themselves and getting the most out of life or people that are out happy and um, loving and like living this amazing life, you know, and it's just like, and it's like, I get to like find the insights of all these different people, what makes them them, you know, and so like right now, it's like I get to learn from all these different people, mm-hmm. you know, it's like this doing this podcast is literally just a strategy for that, you know what I mean? <laughs> Indeed, yeah, yeah. podcast diaries of the wild ones is my guru, I suppose, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, what they say, uh, you teach what you learn, you learn what you teach, yeah, hmm. what out of everything. Did you ever find what you're looking for? No, but the, the, the need to find an answer is, has abated a lot. Because, oh, as Anthony Hopkins said in an interview, that he said, I'm 80-something. And he said, I know that I know nothing. Yeah. I know nothing. We spent a lifetime trying to find the meaning of life, and there is none. And so if I've discovered anything, it's like more a letting go of that need to want to know. Yeah. So That's, it's humbled you. It's, yeah. It's, it's more like, oh, fucking, I don't know. It's, it's been a great game. I've tried this. I've tried that. But at the end of the day, I'm still here now. Still, I still get restless. I still get upset. I still have all my human attributes. I haven't become this so-called enlightenment. I don't even know if it's true. And if it, is true it's never happened for me it might have happened to that person over there but that's his experience not mine so you know what i'm not going to live in anybody's dream anymore or anybody's reality there's only my reality and the endeavor and the trying and the the striving to become anything other than what i am is tiring and i've had enough Mm. of it i love when alan watts said the path to zentori the path to enlightenment when you when you reach enlightenment there's nothing left to that but to have a good laugh because you're silly enough to question that there was something wrong in the first place. You know what I mean? Sounds right. And yeah. that's kind of exactly it. Yes, yes. Do you, do you find... But we can't help but search because it's uh, something this, this Barry Long once said. He said, look, he said, woman's all love. Man's all love with 10% something to do. Yeah. And he's got to do it. Yeah. And that's that. I've got to achieve. I've got to be something. I've got to build a world. And he's got this lovely saying where there's the, there's the, there's the earth the beautiful earth with the nature and the birds and the trees and everything on it, the rivers, the oceans. Then there's the man-made, then there's the world of man put on top, which is our structures, our concepts, our ideas. And, that, and from all of that, that, that 10% something to do, we've created this, 
this world that we live in, which is um, stuff, stuff to do. Yeah. And the world's amazing when you let it, when you just let it be. Yeah, which is the earth, not the world. Yeah. See the, the difference yeah. of the two? There's the natural earth and then there's the world of man. So what would you say? What would you say to a young person... Yeah. Sorry, your beautiful partner's walking right now, Lexi. Hi, mm-hmm. Lexi. Hey. <laughs> if there's anything throughout everything that you've learnt from going through this movement, going through your whole growth, you know, because you are someone that I look at to seem quiet in the now and quiet happy, you know. Like, I know that, yeah. <laughs> Lexi looks at us. What? Of course we have our moments and everything, but it's like I look at you and it's like it seems like you have life figured out and I suppose none of us ever do, but it's like out of your insight, you know, and, and this is what you've been doing today is like kind of sharing your insight. It's like what would you say then to someone who had that feeling that you had when you are 21? What would I say? Like being the elder that you are and like now being like humbled to a certain degree, like going through this seven-year movement, you're, you joined like a, a what – most people call a cult but mm. it's just like another club like, would you just tell someone to go join a club or yeah yeah well uh, absolutely <laughs> go You've, join a club yeah. no, no just no just live your life you haven't got a choice actually you, yeah there's everyone's got a drive to do something in a man it's it can be seen in the world of western man you you want to achieve something there's a need yeah. in man to achieve or do something so just go off and do it. And uh, if, if, if you go so far and it's like, well, that's dried up or I'm now bored with it, go that way. Just go where, where, where life takes you because you've got you've to use it up. You've got to use your life up mm. before you can go, well, that didn't work, that didn't work, but that's not going to work either. Um, now I'm tired and um, I'm getting in my senior years and I don't have to do anything about it anymore. Yeah. I've ex- you're here to experiment and look around. It's, it's a playing field. It's a place to play in. So try and live your life. Do all the things that interest you. If you want to join a cult, go and do it. I mean, if, if you enjoyed this podcast and I said, oh, I, I loved it. It was great for me. I didn't get brainwashed. I loved it. Yeah. There's no brainwashing unless you're blind yourself. If you can't see you're being manipulated, then, well, you're a bit of a fool. Yeah. But I got asked last week to write this thing for Wild Earth Australia. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, why? The question was, why do you adventure? Right? And I thought about it. I sat there and I thought, you know, why do I adventure? And I was like, well, it's so freaking simple. Well, it's like so it. simple. You yeah, but it's it. like, oh. and I, I, but it just, it, it's so weird. Such a simple que- question sparks such a depth of contemplation, right? Which then sparks such a simple answer, hmm. right? And I was thought they were expecting me to write like paragraphs or something or I don't know. And I just came up with, well, I answered it with, I have one chance to experience life Ooh. i'm going for it yay why wouldn't i oh no why wouldn't you mm-hmm. you know what i mean i was just thinking about that it's like i have one chance to experience life i'm going for it so it's like why wouldn't you you know what i mean like why wouldn't you and life's like an experiment i love like no but that's that's your personal drive i mean I've that's been, mine exactly yeah, no I've, I've been watching you from from here going wow this aaron's amazing he just makes some money and he goes adventuring and he travels the world and he does things 
quickly too. There's no mucking around. Six months, I'm over here and I'm doing this. I'm going to Finland. I'm going to Africa. I'm going to, you know, yeah. you, you know. In a few years, I've known you. You've been around the world a few times. Like well, fucking hell. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, Whoa. I'm, I'm wait. I need to calm down. I need to finish my, building my house. I need, I need to get that. Well, when you going. when you're ready, you will. It's fine. You, at least you've got the block of land. You've got something. You've got a dwelling to. Um, you well, you need a roof a pool over yesterday. A pool. Yeah, because. I grabbed that tank, so I have that those two spare tank oh, there. You turn upside down. Or no, I put the okay. So I've got I've got the water, the big water tank coming off my roof, filling mm. up. Yeah, and then because my blocks on a slant, that little green tank that I had, a five thousand liter one, I put up the top. I built a pad for that. Put oh. that up the top, just so while I'm away, I can gravity feed down to the food uh, to the food um, to my food forest. Yeah. yeah. And so we went and got the fire truck the other day, Frankie and I did, and we pumped up to that top one. And we're looking at this top tank, and Frankie goes, "Hey, this this is a lid on the top of this tank. It's screwed in." Ah, oh, you swear! <laughs> so then we took the screws off. Why not? Took the lid off. Yeah. Clint came. A whole heap of neighbours came around yesterday <laughs> afternoon. We got beers. We all jumped in. We're sitting there, hanging there. I, I went and got um, one of the ladders. Put a bit of board. Um, bit of wooden board through the ladder mm. so then we had like a table on the outside then we got crates so you could put them in the water and sit on them and it was like this perfect level like chest height you could just sit sitting out. there drinking beers looking out over that beautiful afternoon that we had in the bush and i was like wow life's changed touche yeah and how's that for like how's that for um multi multi so everything in permaculture you know like is you know multiple purposes for, for things right i just created a gravity fed system mm. And a pool. <laughs> yeah. <that laughs> bingo with such small outlay. It now I've just, just got there. to figure out how to keep that water clean, like aerated or whatever. But what, what I'm thinking of doing now is just getting that water tank, putting it in the middle of the food forest. And then when I know I have people come dumping all the water on all the trees, giving it a wipe out and filling it up, like maybe build a little deck around it. And that way it'll be like clean for about five days, you know. Oh. I'm just thinking if you're not aerating or have a pump on it or whatever constantly, just so you can have that pool there. Hmm. Yeah. Or just get a spa one day. <laughs> Who knows? All right, Mark, thank you so much because this is quite um, intimate and, and thank you so much for sharing this because it's something, it's so weird. I, I say to people sometimes like the Rush Niche movement or the Osho movement and people are like, what? Mm. Or a lot of people kind of know, no one really knows and it's just so interesting to see people that had that movement and what it did for their life. Yeah, it was great. You know? Thank you for having and, me. And, and I think mm. the biggest thing from this is that the people that were in that movement, you know, back then, it's just like, you know, they're just normal people. Like, you're just a normal dude. Instead of joining that soccer club, you join this this movement. And you had these amazing life experiences from it, just like you would in any club, I suppose, you join. But it's just like yeah. you kind of went for it. And it's, yeah. And it's so nice to see. And, and, and you're left with this wonderful philosophy or this great, like, experience that you got in life through that. So it's pretty cool. Indeed. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you, man. Bye, bye. So if you like this episode, please feel free to share it and leave a rating. And if you have or know of anyone with a wild story, please get in contact with me through my Instagram, Aaron underscore Shanks, or the website, diariesofthewildones.com, because I'd love to sit down over a beer or a coffee and hear it. Jari 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 Jari
Yeah, I do it like a double.